Well, good morning. What a wonderful group, a great crowd, and uh, Lynn, uh, quit, quit kissing on people, all right? Uh, <laughs> did you have a birthday? Uh, yes, I I heard that we missed your birthday. When was it? Can you remember? I think it was last week. All right. Well, Lynn, happy birthday. All right. I don't celebrate much, but I sure am glad I You look good for 80. You do. All right. So, hey, this is a wonderful group, and uh, thank you all so much for calling and texting and outreaching. And uh, uh, Sue, thank you all for the wonderful breakfast. The committee did a great job. and and a wonderful uh, time of fellowship. Many of you have been traveling, you've been gone, you've been out, and so good to have you back home uh, here in the class. Uh, today I'm going to get after it. Today, 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we're going to look at probably one of the hardest texts that we find in the book of 1 Peter. I do want to say that uh, a few weeks ago, I uh, gave the illustration that um, a professional chess player can see 30 moves in advance. So in other words, you make a move, he can see 30 different moves in advance. Well, I thought I'd test that theory out. <laughs> so last night, I got on my computer. And I played the computer a chess game. That rascal beat me in five moves. <laughs> I mean, five moves. I heard the computer say very smugly, checkmate. <laughs> so anyway, I'm, I'm not very good against the computer. First Peter chapter 3. Why would Jesus die for me is what we're going to look at today. It gets our attention. We somehow are fascinated when we hear the truth that somebody died for somebody else. On 9-11, we find that on that terrible, terrible day, 403 emergency workers, first responders, perished in New York City. 403. As I read that figure, I thought, all of those who died that day died for somebody else. Why would someone dare to die for people that they did not even know? Well, when you and I look at the Scripture, we find that the Son of God, the Lord Jesus, died for people not yet born, died to, according to the text today, to bring us to God. And we begin today in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 18 through 22, and then in chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I want to begin just by reading... Verse 18. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just 
for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. And that one verse sets the tone for really the rest of the book of 1 Peter. Now, why would God inspire Peter to write about this? Well, the reason why is because there were people dying daily for the faith. By the time Peter writes this epistle, many of the apostles, they've already been martyred. They've already died. And so, under the inspiration of God, God is saying that don't be surprised that you will one day face death for the gospel because the Lord Jesus already died for you. And that's the model that we have. These first century believers literally went through the fire of persecution, gave their life so that we could have our faith today. And so, Peter goes back to the day and time that Jesus died. You know, the symbol of the Christian faith is not the empty tomb. It's a cross. It's the instrument of death. In Philippians chapter 2, we find the Apostle Paul writing that Jesus went to the death of the cross for you and I. If you've got your Bible, I want you to turn over there to Philippians chapter 2. Best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself. Philippians chapter 2. And look at verse number 8. Philippians 2 verse 8. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And not only did Jesus die a death, that would be bad enough for the sinless Son of God to die a death. But the Bible says He died the death of the cross. A cross kind of death. And you and I think about that today. We think about something that is a piece of jewelry that people wear around their neck. But in the first century, that was the execution of a convict, of a criminal. It was the Roman way of getting rid of the unsavory element of society. They were nailed to a cross. And the Bible says, Jesus humbled Himself not just to die, but the death of the cross. Why would Jesus do that? Let me share with you today three reasons. Alright, number one, Jesus died that I might come to God. Now verses 18 through 22, we read 18. Let's look at 19 through 22. In which also He went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. 
not the removal of the dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to Him. Now, Peter is saying that the first reason, the one that comes to the top for the death of the Son of God is that we might be brought to God. There is no other way, there's no other doctrine that can tell us how a man can come to God except through Jesus Christ. He is not one way. He's the only way. There's not many roads. There's just one road. And it's through the cross of Christ. Now, verse 18. You find the word death there. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death. Because of sin, there had to be a death. How in the world can someone die for the sin of the world? The only way is when they are the perfect Lamb of God. Do you remember the time that John the Baptist saw Jesus? And John said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. I read this wonderful quote about verse 18. J.M. Ross said these words, It is one of the shortest and simplest, yet one of the richest summaries given in the New Testament of the meaning of the cross of Christ. It is to bring us to God. Now, verses 19 through 20, you find here that Jesus preached to sinners. There are about 270 interpretations of verse 19 and 20. I, I'm serious. I read one commentary that said there are 270 different ideas what these two verses mean. I am not going to give you 270 ideas, alright? I'm going to give you one. Verse 19 says that Jesus went and made a proclamation to the spirits now in prison. In other words, Jesus went and preached to sinners in prison. Well, who did He preach to? What prison are they in? Well, if you read verse 20, it says, "...who once were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Well, let me give you the simplest and easiest explanation. I believe that Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, was preaching a proclamation through Noah as Noah declared righteousness to his generation. I also believe that those who did not accept the message of judgment and those that perished in the flood, they are today locked up in prison, in hell, 
And one day that prison's going to be opened up and they will stand before a holy God and they will be without excuse because Jesus will say, I preached through Noah and you rejected His message. I believe that when a man of God is inspired by the Spirit of God and when God's on him, I believe that those who hear the message, they will stand before God and answer for their rejection. They're going to stand in judgment. Now, you also find in chapter 4, chapter 4, we're going to get to that later, but uh, you also find that uh, the Gospel in chapter 4, verse 6, was preached to those who were dead. Now, this is kind of a side note, but I want to share this with you. If someone dies and goes to hell, they're without excuse. Because I believe that God has a way that His Spirit will deal with every man in some way and try to woo him and try to bring him to Christ. People will be without excuse if they perish and go to hell. Now, verse 21 says that Jesus Christ provides for sinners something that is very, very important. Verse 21 talks about you and I having a good conscience. We don't have to be guilty. Now this verse 21 says that we get a good conscience by one particular thing. What is it? It's baptism. Now, how in the world does being baptized give you a good conscience? Well, I'll tell you why. Now stay with me on this. You can line up all the things that you ought to do in the Christian life. Let's just think about it. Getting baptized, reading your Bible, praying daily, sharing your faith with others, coming to church. But what is the very first thing a new believer ought to do? They ought to walk through the waters of baptism. And when you stand in the waters of baptism, when the man of God says, your old life is buried and you're raised to walk in newness of life, that is the first time in your life that you say, I have testified for the Lord. And God takes away the guilt. God gives you a clear conscience saying, I've done what I can do for the Lord today. Baptism is the start, not the end of that. But it's a first start to you having a clear conscience. Now, every person that got saved in the New Testament, every single one of them got baptized with the exception of one. Who was it? Thief on the cross. You remember the story there at Calvary. Jesus crucified between two thieves. One mocks Him, but the other one says, Lord, today remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus said, friend, today you're going to be with me in paradise. 
Oh, can you, can you close your eyes and see that scene that, that when Jesus breathed His last and that thief died, man, arm in arm and side by side, they walked into glory together, the Son of God and a good-for-nothing thief. Man, what a glorious picture of grace that is. One commentator said that every person needs baptism because we need a clear conscience, but the one exception is there to show that we're not saved by baptism, we're saved by grace. I love that. Well, verse 22 says that Jesus Christ pleads for sinners. Verse 22 talks about the present work of Jesus. It says, "...who is at the right hand of God, having gone into heaven, after angels and authorities and powers have been subjected to Him." What is the present work of Jesus today? Well, it's the work of praying for you and I. It's the ministry of reconciliation. The Lord today is seated at the right hand of God. He is always and forever interceding for you and I. He's praying for us. Sometimes when you and I need encouragement, we just feel down deep inside that encouragement coming. That's the power of Jesus praying for us. When I do something and, and mess up and I... I really go the other way in my faith. I know that Jesus is there interceding for me and, and I am justified by His scars and by His blood. He is my intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 says this, Therefore He is also able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. Man, that a great truth. He always lives to make intercession for us. That is His present ministry. Well, in verse 22, the last part of that, you also find that Jesus presides over sinners. You see that last phrase in verse 22? It says... Authorities and powers had been subjected to Him. Uh, in the end, everything, everyone, every ruler, every sinner is going to fall at His feet. They are. In fact, we are waiting for that day. Again, in the book of Hebrews... Hebrews 10 verse 13 says, Waiting from that time onward until His enemies be made a footstool for His feet. Oh, can you see that picture? All of the enemies of Christ. All the naysayers. They will be His footstool at His feet. And so, Simon Peter has it right. Jesus died that I might come to God. I can be given His righteousness. I can be given forgiveness only through Christ. 
All right, let's move on. Number two, second reason Jesus died. He also died that I might cease from sin. One thing to be saved, something else to live like a saved person. You know, the, the Nazarene church and some of the Pentecostal holiness churches, they got us beat on preaching holiness. Sometimes you hear Baptists say, well, I've got the fire insurance. What do you mean by that? Well, they, they've got salvation. They say they've got the fire insurance. They're going to miss hell. Well, I tell you, if you got the fire insurance, if you got the policy, you ought to have the life to back it up. Holiness. Now, verse number 1 in chapter 4 says, Therefore, in other words, because of what Christ has done, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose. Because He who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Now, particular word there I think is interesting, the word arm. Now, Peter says we are to arm ourselves. In other words, we are to put on the armor that we need so that we can cease from sin. Can you imagine a soldier going into battle? Not checking his rifle to make sure it's clean and able to use it? I got tickled every time I watched the movie Patton. I love the movie Patton. It's really my favorite movie. Probably doesn't surprise anyone, but I love the movie Patton. And I love it when George C. Scott, who plays George Patton, walks in and walks in for the first time to command the troops in North Africa. And uh, walks in there and he, he's got a, a sergeant with him and sergeant's got a clipboard and Patton says, write this guy up, no tie. Write this guy up, he's unkept, no shape. Write this guy up, he's... And I mean on and on and on. There's one guy sleeping on the floor and Patton stumbles over him. And the guy jumps up and Patton says, what are you doing? The guy says, well, I, I, I was sleeping on the floor. Patton says, just get back there and, and sleep again because you're the only guy around here who knows what you're doing. I love it. I love it. Well, whether it be, whether it be putting on the armor, the breastplate of righteousness, whether it be taking the sword in your hand, the Word of God, you and I are to arm ourselves every day. Put on the armor of God. Well, because of what Christ has done, we can think differently. Verse number 1 in the Message Bible reads like this. First uh, Peter 4.1, the Message Bible says, Since Jesus went through everything you're going through and more, learn to think like Him. Learn to think like Him. 1 Corinthians 2.16 says, For who has known the mind of the Lord that He will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. 
I learned to think like Him. Learned to think like Jesus. I was here yesterday and uh, we had the uh, feeding of the homeless out there in the parking lot. Wonderful ministry. Ron Paul was recognized yesterday. and just, just a tremendous ministry. And I watched as uh, we were, you know, grilling hamburgers and... Uh, um, and as we were feeding those, those homeless people that were lined up, Terry from Higher Grounds had a big table of giveaways. And she had a lot of shoes out there that people had donated. I saw one guy come over that was wearing a pair of tennis shoes. They had four or five holes in the tennis shoes. And he reached down and got a pair of shoes that to me looked like they were old and scuffed up. That homeless guy got that pair of shoes and he walked around all day long with those shoes in his hand, just clutching those shoes. It's like a diamond ring to him. So proud to get those. I thought to myself, thinking like Christ means that you think about people like that who got nothing, living on the street. And you and I show Christ's love in a tangible way by giving away a pair of shoes that you and I are not going to wear any longer. But to Him, it was like a Cadillac. Oh, I tell you, we need to think like the Lord. Well, we also need to live differently. That, that's verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says, So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desires of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousings, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Peter is saying, you've had a long time, and this is a phrase used here uh, years ago, of sowing your wild oats, you know, you, you've done that. Peter says, move on, live differently. Years ago, I, I had this deacon, his name was, it was spelled E-M-I-L, but we called him Amiel. And Amiel was visiting with me one day. We were driving down the road late at night. We were driving down one road and we were driving by a car and there were two young people parked in the car. I thought about pulling up there and shining my, my lights on right there in the front. But they, they were parked in this car. And uh, I asked Amiel, I said, boy, what do you think they're doing in there? Amiel said, they're spooning. I said, spooning? I said, what in the world is that? He said, preacher, it's up to no good. It's up to no good. Spooning. Well... Spooning, what was that? Pitching woo or what? <laughs> All those old terms. They may date you, but, but the truth is, when you come to Christ, you think different. You live different. Well, and we can do that because of what Christ has done for us. I got this illustration here. John Huss was a reformer in the church. John Huss, on his 42nd birthday, 
refused to renounce his faith when called before a tribunal. John Huss's last words were these, What I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. Wow. What I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. The day may come in America. They keep passing laws. It's going to get here quick. When you and I are going to be called to stand before somebody, and we're going to have to say, I renounce my faith, or my allegiance belongs to Christ. The day is going to come. I guarantee it. Well, third and last thing today. Third and last, Jesus died that I might confound the world. <laughs> oh, I love this. Verse number 4. In all this they are surprised. Let me stop right there. Let me use a different word than surprised. In all this they scratch their heads. In all this, they shake their head at you. You know, the world out there cannot figure out what it means to be a Christian. How can you and I turn the other cheek when we're insulted? How can you and I take off a coat and give to someone we don't even know? How can you and I give faithfully 10% of our income as a tithe, and on top of that, give an offering. How can you and I do all that? Well, the world can't understand that. Well, they do not understand the Christian's actions because they do not understand the Christ. The lost are not prepared to give an account. Look at verse 5 and 6. But they will give account to Him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For the Gospel has for this purpose been preached even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the Spirit according to the will of God. And here you find this again. And Jesus has preached through men of God in ages past, and those who have died died and went to an eternal hell without excuse. They had a chance. They had an opportunity. Well, why would Jesus die for me? That I might come to God. That I might cease from sin. That I might confound the world. You know, I, I love it when the world doesn't understand you and I. I love it when someone gets on TV and tries to explain the Christian faith. I remember years ago, Phil Donahue. I remember that show years ago. And I remember he would have different people on there. One time, he had Billy Graham on his show. And Phil Donahue tried to tear Billy Graham's faith up, and guess who won that argument? Billy Graham did. Billy Graham would say, Well, Phil... Do you realize that Jesus died for you? Phil would say, well, well, I didn't ask Him to die for me. Billy Graham would say, He died for you before you knew that He needed to die for you. Oh, what a wonderful 
thing when the world doesn't understand. And that's why no one can come to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws him. There's got to be the convicting work of the Spirit of God. Let, let me close by sharing one of my favorite stories with you. There's a story about 40 martyrs. The 40 martyrs of Sebasti. In the early days of the Christian church, these 40 soldiers, all Christians, were members of the famed 12th Roman Legion. And one day the captain told them that Emperor Licinius had sent a order that every single Christian had to renounce their faith and swear allegiance to the emperor. Those 40 brave Christian soldiers said, you can have our armor and even our bodies, but our hearts belong to Jesus. It was midwinter, the year 320. And the captain had all 40 of them marched out to a nearby frozen lake, stripped them of their clothes, and said they would either die there freezing to death, or they would renounce Christ. Throughout the night, the forty huddled together. They began to sing, Forty brave soldiers for Christ. The ice began to give way. One went through the ice. Thirty-nine brave soldiers for Christ. On through the night it went. And one by one they would fall through the ice and they would perish and, and their song would change according to the number that was left. Ten brave soldiers for Christ. Nine, eight, seven... And it went down to one. In the morning, there was just one left. And he began to recant his faith. And he ran off that frozen lake and said, I renounce Christ. I want to save my life. But there was a soldier there on the side of the lake who all night long had heard the brave 40. And he ran out on the lake and said, I'll take his place because I've seen the bravery of these who know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And with a shout, he said, 40 brave soldiers for Christ and I'll be the last. And he perished to his death giving His life for the Lord who had given His life for Him. I tell you what, that, that story inspires me because I know that I know that I know someday you and I are going to have to stand up for Christ and be part of the brave soldiers for Him. That's why Peter says in chapter 4, verse 1, arm yourselves. Arm yourselves. Be ready to suffer in the flesh and cease from sin. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word today. Lord, may we be faithful 
as those 40 were. The 39 plus the one soldier who gave his life. Father, I pray today that you would give us great boldness this week. God, give us open doors. Father, give us divine appointments. And Father, I thank you for the truth that Jesus died for us to bring us to God. In His name I pray. Amen. Y'all have a great day.